Good morning, I'm Wimala, and today is January the 13th. The week is going by fast. Uh, I'm still in Tennessee. My mom is still in the hospital. Uh, not sure if she's not sure how she's doing. So as soon as I finish this, I'll be going to the hospital, probably be there all day. Um, maybe, maybe more to report tomorrow. Uh, I wanted to get back to reading from Wisdom is Bliss by Robert Thurman. This is such a good chapter on realistic mindfulness. His, uh, his, instead of saying right mindfulness, he uses the term realistic. And I think that's a, a, a very good interpretation, actually, because that was what the Buddha was trying to teach us, was to, and is still trying to teach us through his writing, um, to see things as they really are. And that's how we can find happiness and an end to our suffering, is to be more aligned with the, uh, the wisdom that's in the, this world. It's in nature, it's within us. So I love that he uses realistic mindfulness. So yesterday we were talking about his, um, the, uh, they, in the tr Tibetan tradition, he talks about the great focus of mindfulness discourse. And we usually ha uh, have had it translated in the Theravadan tradition as the four foundations of mindfulness or the foundations of mindfulness, so it's the same thing. So let's read a little bit more from this chapter and then sit together. And uh, it's really wonderful for me since I'm going to the hospital right after we are together. It really is, uh, it's really good for me to be with you and carry that with me through the day. So I might be repeating this one. Let's see. He he talks about the, uh, yeah, I don't want to repeat too much. So hopefully you, you listened on Tuesday. Back to mindfulness of the body, the first of the four focuses of mindfulness. In the great focus of mindfulness discourse, there's a long list of all the components of your physical body. You scan your entire physique, your skeleton, muscles, ligaments, circulatory system, blood, lymph, interstitial fluids, nervous system, and its brain, and its electrical impulses, organs and vessels and their contents, brain, sense organs and their, and its inner field, but not yet in too much detail. You might get down to cells, molecules, atoms, subatomic particles, and energies, but not pushing too finely into pinning everything down. Just trying to be aware of everything, you realize you are a conglomerate, highly imperfect, changing, actually somewhat indeterminate set of processes. But you don't push on it. You just want to remember be lucidly aware of what you are in as fine 
detail as possible. So this is why we do body scans. This is why um, I was in uh, Bhante Analeo's class on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, an online class at the very beginning of the pandemic. I was really fortunate. And um, he has a particular way of doing a body scan, and that's what I've been using. And this is a beautiful description of it, and it's uh, Bhante Analeo does it a different way, but it, it has the same effect. What happens as you stabilize this focus, this focus on the body and the composition of the body, is that you end up floating in your sensations. You realize you cannot be certain, cannot fix your body solidity. It keeps slipping away from your awareness of it. This then naturally induces you to turn to the second of the four focuses of mindfulness, your sensations, the feelings. This is uh, feelings as in sensations, not as in emotional, you know, you hurt my feelings kind of feelings. Traditional accounts translate Pali or Sanskrit, they're both the same word, Vedana, as feelings which is misleading. These are not emotions. Those with emotions are reactions to sensations, but the sensations themselves, both physical and mental, merely the noticing of pleasure, pain, and numbness. For example, you can focus on your knee, its joint, ligaments, skin, muscle fibers, down to cells and molecules, and then you reach mentally to feel the sensation of it being your knee. You might end up feeling a pain from sitting cross-legged, still in a fixed posture. There may be some pleasure in feeling your pant legs smooth on the skin. You feel nothing much from some of the surfaces you can imagine around the knee. Your mind senses discomfort at sitting still while it hurts, and some comfort at being able to sit still anyway, holding your meditative posture. You move around with your mind through all the complex sensations, mental as well as physical, inventorying the visual, audio, olfactory, gustatory, and tactile sensations a kind of cloud of mental states, sort of surrounding the physical structures you held in the first mindful focus. These sensations of pleasure, pain, or numbness are the way the mind seems somehow to contact the physical. So when we think about those uh, uh, feeling, uh, feelings, we often use pleasant, unpleasant, and uh, neutral. And he's using pleasure, pain, or numbness. As you try to stabilize this second focus, your mindfulness naturally pushes toward the third of the four focuses of mindfulness. So this is the next focus, the focus on your mind itself. It seems less and less concrete and unitary the more it looks at itself. As you investigate the mind, it becomes scattered into components, 
fleeting cognitions of visual, audio, olfactory, gustatory, and tactile objects, interspersed with awareness of surges of desire, hate, delusion, and the fading of those distractions. This focus of your mind on itself may cause you to feel confused, maybe even a bit dizzy or faint as you get lost in the complexity of your consciousness. And this naturally leads you then into the fourth focus of mindfulness, the realm of mental objects. You begin to realize that all of your mindfulness focusing has been dealing with mental objects. Indeed, your body awareness was filtering the spray of your sensations of your bodily parts and components through a set of inner images of your anatomy, ideas of your body parts and constituents. You realize that your mind functions in a cloud of images and ideas and emotional reactions driven to maintain its sense of existence and purpose and direction by an inner narrative or alternating sets of narratives. This is really quite extraordinary uh, writing, I think. He's just describing it really beautifully. Having explored, and so that was the fourth, the mental objects and how we're creating those all the time and how uh, we're shifting back and forth. Having explored the four focuses of mindfulness, you then become aware of hindrances to your lucid awakeness. These are the five hindrances of craving, annoyance, depression, agitation, and confusion. So these are the five hindrances that we often talk about is sensual desire, the craving, annoyance, that's aversion, the pushing away. Depression is sloth and torpor. Agitation is restlessness and worry. And confusion is often translated as doubt. So I'm sure you've all heard these, and I think his words are really good. Uh, use, and he uses craving, annoyance, depression, agitation, and confusion. We, we all have experienced those, right, at some degree or another. Your awakeness alerts you to their presence, how they are seen through and so fade, and how they are precluded by sustained focus. The mindfulness of these leads to insight. So this mindfulness then and that mindfulness is paying attention to them. Your awaken, your awakenness alerts you to their present presence, how they are seen through, how you see through them now because you're more awake, and so they fade as you see through them. And they are precluded by sustained focus. The mindfulness of these leads to insight, which goes beyond mere awareness of their presence to seeing through them, 
reaching a natural detachment from their presence by abandoning constant grasping at, at their presence, thereby feeling at ease and free within the mind. So it's, it's, it, I love that he says the mindfulness of these leads to insight, and that insight goes beyond mere awareness of their presence to seeing through them. We know what they are now. So we we see through them. We see what they're doing. We see that they're hindrances. Reaching a natural detachment from their presence by abandoning constant grasping at their presence, thereby feeling at ease and free within the mind. Then Buddha leads his patients through imposing numerous schemes on the host of mind objects, organizing them conceptually into the five aggregative processes. Physical, sensational, conceptual, emotional, and cognitive, and then becoming lucidly awake about them. So putting all these parts together, we call this, the, these are the five aggregates, and he, he labels the five, this part of the five aggregative uh, process, the processes are physical, sensational, conceptual, emotional, and cognitive. Then becoming, then the next is becoming lucidly awake about them. Then insightful, then letting them go. Next, he leads them into analyzing their consciousnesses themselves as visual, audio, audio, olfactory, gustatory, tactile, and mentally sensed interior fields known as the 12-fold sense fields within consciousness. So we're taking all of our, our senses and breaking down our senses, the visual, audio, olfactory, gustatory, tactile, and mentally. And the 12-fold sense fields or the, we have the senses, the sense doors, and the sense consciousness. So they're, they're, we break those down into different parts. Then he, then he the Buddha, leads his uh, patients. He leads them again to gain insight. By now, we, the patients, are more and more detached from obsession with inner phenomena. That's the important phrase. The patients are more and more detached from obsession with inner phenomena. Our minds tending to feel meditatively disembodied, in fact. So he leads us to develop a kind of subtle mental body made of the seven enlightenment components. Mental awareness itself critical discernment, creativity, delight, calm, concentration, and equanimity. So these are the these are the components, these are the qualities that we're that that are 
our reward. These are factors of that awakening. Insight and lucid wakefulness come about when using this scheme and there is a sense of inner freedom and detachment that, that is even stronger than before. So we're detaching from the craving for uh, experiencing these uh, these hindrances, basically. So we don't we're not attached to those to being in those anxious, suffering, depressive, uh, you know, out of balance kinds of emotions. This last focus of your mindfulness is on things in the mind, your mind objects. The last of the list of things in your mind is the four noble truths, or friendly facts, as he calls them. Thus, the four noble truths are featured as the most important things in your mind. The great discourse is utterly amazing in the way Buddha leads his disciples through this. After all, his enlightenment under the Bodhi tree occurred when he himself became perfectly clear on these four noble truths, especially the third one, the noble truth of freedom from, cessation of, blowing away of, suffering. So the Buddha leads us patients into the subtlest organization of the mind objects, That is the Four Noble Truths, or realities. These four things are possibilities for ordinary persons, but are realities for a noble, truly friendly person. These four things are possibilities for ordinary persons, but are realities for a noble, truly friendly person. For a noble, truly friendly person the realities of suffering, its origination, its cessation, and the eightfold path leading to its cessation. He brings the patients into lucid wakefulness of their diagnosis and prognosis. So I want to stop here because he immediately moves into uh, discussing the Four Noble Truths in relationship. And this is, uh, well, that's, is, we'll save this for tomorrow. So he, we, he led us here through the pro, through the process of the four foundations of mindfulness and how it comes back around to the four noble truths. And then he's going to tie it up and you have to wait for tomorrow for Friday, January the 14th, to see how he ties it up. Because I want us to be able to sit together for a little bit, hopefully just getting us all started, and then we'll continue having a meditative day, which we can do in all the activities that we do. We can carry this. This is meditation is just the training that we go through to get our minds clear and exactly what he was talking about, looking at all the facets of uh, this body and this mind and then seeing how it applies to the to all of the other teachings and to uh, the cure 
and, and the prognosis for the future. So when we get up from sitting practice, we are hopefully carrying that practice with us all day. And everything that we learn is continuing to manifest through, you know, how we act, how we speak, and how we're thinking. So let's begin. And uh, I have about 10 minutes. And then if you can keep sitting, I really recommend that because you'll be already in the right posture and the mind is calmed. And if you can sit longer with that, just uh, be be with yourself, be with the body. And if you if you do have a mind that, be, that becomes calm and quiet, then you feel it. Our minds don't become quiet, but it, it becomes calmer. Uh, then if you, you might want to practice for your meditation today, a body scan, just being aware of the components of the body. So, but let's start this morning just letting everything just calm down. Let's let's begin with some a mindfulness practice. And uh, yes, I, my mom is still, uh, my mom, Eva, is asking a question. Uh, we can just sit together. Uh, my mom is still in the hospital, and it, I'll find out today how her night was. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure how she's doing. Maybe I can report more on that tomorrow. She is, she isn't going home yet. So let's begin with a short metta practice, but of course you can extend this practice. It can, it can be your entire time practicing metta. It's such a powerful deep practice we'll do we'll do a, a not a very long metta practice and then we'll just sit quietly so just begin by always starting with yourself it's very easy for open-hearted generous kind people to uh, not Put themselves first. And unless we put ourselves first, we we don't have the deeper understanding of metta, I don't think, because we aren't really loving ourselves. So how can we send that kind of energy out to others? So we first begin to care and nurture ourselves. We nurture our minds. We take good care of our health and our body. And we learn, part of nurturing is learning to accept ourselves. Mm 
Be aware of how you are each day and accept that. Your body may be in pain. You may have uh, something going on. You may be sick. You may be under a lot of stress. You may need more rest. And nurturing ourselves means learning how to take care of that, learning how to really accept ourselves wherever we are. Don't keep pushing and pushing to be something else. Just be you. This entire practice is just about discovering who we've always been. So, nurturing ourselves includes accepting ourselves where we are right now, right at this moment. May I be well, may I be happy, may I be contented, may I feel safe in this world, and may I be at peace. And now open up to a little bit beyond yourself and think of your loved ones. May each one of my loved ones be well, May they feel safe in the world. May they be contented and may they know true happiness. May they be well cared for. May they be at peace.
And now let's send the same energy even further. And let's think of difficult people today. Think of people who are challenging, who, are, who may be difficult, you have difficulties in your relationship with them. It might be a work relationship or it might be a marriage, a very personal relationship, a friendship. Whoever it is, think of one person that you can send this good energy to that you've built up through caring for yourself and caring for your loved ones. See if you can stretch it out to being able to care about your difficult person. Just see that this is a human being and in that sense just like you and me. There is that connection that feels so beautiful when we make that connection to the earth and to our loved ones, but there is also that connection to all other things and all other beings. So may my difficult person be well, be at peace, may my difficult person feel safe and know true happiness. And if you feel ready to, now just let this energy of loving kindness and goodwill, just allow it to reach out to all beings everywhere, human and non-human, beings we can see and the ones we cannot see. May all beings be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May they be free from fear and worry and anxiety, free from hunger and thirst and the extremes of the weather. May all beings be able to care for themselves or may they be well taken care of with kindness, 
And may all beings everywhere, throughout the world, throughout our universe, may they live and be at peace. So thank you everyone. Why don't we share merit? May everything we do today and say and think be done not only for our own benefit, but also for the benefit of all beings. And may peace start within each of us Thank you so much. If you can keep sitting, please keep sitting and just feel your mind becoming more and more stable. Little bits, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, just feel it really accepting everything, really really being okay with the ebbs and flows of the world. And just have a feeling of that if you can. And then as you go about your day, may you just continue to be spreading goodwill everywhere you go. There's a real need for it. Thank you. I'll see you tomorrow.